average week? What was that? Sorto for sale. <coughs> Marion's. How much are you charging, Marion? <laughs> Haven't decided. Make an offer. Getting your drain fixed tomorrow afternoon. Well, that's, that's all right. Sounds good. Well, today we start a new series. And it's in the Beatitudes. Originally, we were going to do this series starting beginning of February and lead up into Easter with, with the Beatitudes. And then someone got appendicitis and um, they very kindly offered to take a four-week series in Ruth, which was a wonderful series, I'm sure you'll all agree. And hopefully you're all challenged by that. And then... We started to lead into Easter and we looked at the supremacy of Christ. We looked at how awesome God was. We looked at life in the spirit as opposed to death in the flesh. And then that was all leading towards how our thinking should be transformed. And so now we've gone through Easter and seen why our thinking should be transformed. We're going to go back and do the Beatitudes series that... I had initially thought to start the year with, but now's a pretty good time to do it. Now that we're through Easter and we've been discussing why we should transform our thinking and what was the act by God to demonstrate to us we need to change our thinking and that was Easter. So now how do we change our thinking? What should we be thinking? How should we be? And so we're going to explore the Beatitudes. We're going to go through them one at a time. So each week we're going to look at the next beatitude. And so for the next about nine weeks, I've chucked a couple of things on the end. You're going to know what we're preaching on that Sunday. Because all you need to do is look down the next beatitude until I throw in an open discussion and muck up your, your pattern. But you never can tell. So let me ask you a question to start out this series. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? What's the difference? A thermometer simply reflects the temperature and environment around them. A thermostat changes the temperature and environment around them. So let me ask you again, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Do you ref- just simply reflect what's going on around you in, in your world, in your communities, in your life? Or are you a thermostat and do you change what's going on in your world, in your communities, in your circles? that you operate in. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's an interesting thought. So today we're going to explore the first beatitude and different versions explore it different ways. 
the NIV is probably one of the more well-known ones. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those for they. Blessed are those for they. Blessed are those for they. And it, there's a pattern. Now, other than just simply good order, there is actually a reason why we're going to explore them in the order they're written in. And that is because they flow. You can't truly understand next week's one about blessed are those who mourn until you understand this week's blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And after mourn is meek, blessed are the meek. But you can't understand meek properly until you understand mourn and poor in spirit. And so they flow. And so each week it provides the information and it will link with the previous weeks but also will give you keys to unlock the following week. And so I urge you to try and come each week. And if you do happen to miss, then listen to it on the net because each week flows into the next week and you'll only understand next week better by understanding this week's. As not to say, well, if I miss one, I might as well just give up and not bother listening to any. But they do flow. The other interesting thing about the Beatitudes is that like creation where days one and day four links and day two and day five link and day three and day six link, Beatitude one and Beatitude five link. Beatitudes two and Beatitude six link. Beatitude three and Beatitude seven link. And the reason is because if we go through the Beatitudes, Beatitudes one to four are more concerned with us and God. Not exclusively, but primarily. It's between us and God, whereas 5 to 8 is between us and other people. And hopefully you'll see these things come out through our series. And so 1 and 5 link, and 2 and 6 link. Today we're obviously looking at the first one, poor in spirit. Now, the Beatitudes, as we... As we Said usually the most translations have blessed are for theirs, blessed are for theirs, and a beatitude's primary purpose is to declare a blessing. But I would suggest that not only are they declaring blessings for particular people, but they're actually revealing to us what the character of God's kingdom is. This is the character, these beatitudes, these attitudes, these act, these, this way of thinking is what is characteristic of God's kingdom. And so if we want to reflect God's kingdom more in our own lives and as a community or family of believers to a community around us, then we need to grow in these areas. And if your life has none of these eight areas then I would say that's a concern. If your life does not have any of these at all. We're all growing, nobody's perfect, I'm far from perfect, but we need to be growing in these areas, just like we need to be growing in fruit of the Spirit. And so having set up our Beatitude series, what is... It means when it says poor in spirit. And like Doug's translation said this morning, 
It means there's a humbleness about it. Poor in spirit does not mean materially, it means spiritually. And what it means is that in front of God, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who are humble. They're humble because they realise before God I am nothing. I am broken, I am sinful, I fall short of God's standards. There is nothing I can do to measure up to God's standards. I am gone. I am nothing. And that's what poor in spirit means. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realise that before God they have absolutely no standing whatsoever on their own merits. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's 100% reliance on God. It's 100% reliance on God, knowing that within ourselves we can do nothing without God. And so that's what it means when it says poor in spirit. Each week through the Beatitudes we're going to ask three questions. What does it mean? What is Jesus saying? And how did... The people who were listening to Jesus on that mountainside that day, how did they understand what Jesus was saying? That's going to be the first bit, and that's what we've just explored. The next bit we're going to explore each week is how do we see that in Jesus' life? Because if Jesus is the perfect human representation of God and he reflects the kingdom, then surely we must be able to see these in Jesus, mustn't we? Yes, is the answer. Thank you. And the third question we're going to ask is, okay, well, if, we, if that's what it means, and this is how we see it in Jesus' life, then what does that mean for us? How do we live that out today in, in our community, in our world today, in our society? How do we live that? So that's, that's where we're going. So how do we see this humbleness and this this complete reliance on God in Jesus. I mean, Jesus wasn't spiritually bankrupt like we are, and that's what poor in spirit, if we want to be brutal about it, we're spiritually bankrupt. We don't own a cracker. If you've ever been bankrupt in a monetary sense like I have, you know that nothing is yours. (laughs) They can come take whatever they want, whenever they want, And you have a lot of work to do to get out of that. And it's a stigma that stays with you for a long time. And spiritually bankrupt means exactly that. Absolutely no credit to you. So how do we see that in Jesus? This humbleness, this... Well, he wasn't spiritually bankrupt, but the fact is he modelled humbleness perfectly. Didn't he? Yes. Now, if you think about it, who is Jesus? And we've just spent weeks exploring who is Jesus. We all know who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross. But who is Jesus? If you go back to the beginning of John, and they're talking to John the Baptist about who Jesus is, John says Jesus, the coming Messiah, is someone who I'm not even worthy 
to untie his sandals. That's how awesome this person is. That's how worthy this person is, this coming Messiah, that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, which was about the lowest job you could get because usually the one who's untying the sandals is then the one washing the feet. I don't know about your feet, but I know what my feet are like, and <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> and that's what John's saying about Jesus. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. So John, the Baptist, sent by God, prepare the way, preach repentance, get people ready for the coming Messiah, is not even worthy to do the lowest of the low to Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus actually is. But if you then think about Jesus' attitude towards himself, cast your mind into Mark. And more importantly, Mark chapter 10. We're not going to turn there and read it because we're going to keep moving. But Mark chapter 10, they're walking along the road. Jesus has just predicted his death. For the third time in Mark 10, third time, he has said to his disciples, I am going to Jerusalem, I am going to die, they are going to kill me, and I'm going to raise again in the third day. He has just predicted his death for the third time. They're walking to Jerusalem, and what are his disciples doing? They're arguing over who's most important. Yeah, just don't get it, do you? But too often we're like that. So what's Jesus' response? What's Jesus' response to his disciples who are arguing over who's, who, who's going to be most important in Jesus' kingdom? This is the person who, who is so far beyond us, even the guy that God sent to prepare the way for him is not even worthy to untie his shoelaces, take the most lowest of the low jobs. This guy who is so great, Jesus goes, I was not sent to be served, but to serve. Jesus didn't come to earth the first time to be served. He came to serve. He came to build up people. He came to lift us back up into a right relationship with him. He was humble enough that he didn't lay it out on everyone and go, you know who I am? Don't you know that even, even John the Baptist, who was regarded as a prophet by everyone other than the chief priests and the religious teachers, everyone regarded John the Baptist as a prophet. Even he's not worthy to untie my shoelaces, get down and kiss my feet for me. Not once do you hear Jesus saying that. Jesus was humble, right, and the perfect example of humility. And it's with that that we then come to the John reading where the Last Supper, this is the last night before Jesus is actually going to go on the cross the next day. He's about to have a night full of no sleep and no coffee. <laughs> and he's about to get put through the worst trials, the most rigged trials ever. There are going to be that many laws broken by the people given to actually upholding the law. It's not funny. 
because you lose count of how many times the law keepers break the laws in order to find Jesus guilty. Jesus, this is the last night before that. Even then he doesn't say, hey, you want to cut me some slack? Wash my feet, cook the dinner, give me a bit of a treat. He then washes his disciples' feet. The lowest of the low, the one that even John wasn't worthy to do, he stoops down and does it and he washes his disciples' feet. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? The God of the universe, the God who created everything. Manny, last term, was set a bit of a personal project by his teacher. Um, Simply because he gets kind of bored the teacher thought well let's give you some extra work he did a project on the solar system and Catherine and I helped him just a little bit and it was only a little bit he did vast majority of the work himself and part of it was we first did a page on the solar system generally and then the sun and then each of the planets sort of thing do you realize that it's either Uranus or Neptune one of those two To go one lap around the sun takes about 12 Earth years. That's just one lap around the sun. That's just our little pesky solar system. (laughs) To go across the Milky Way galaxy, and we're one galaxy of hundreds of billions of galaxies, it's 100 million light years. You travel at the speed of light... For 100 million years, and you'll go from one side of our galaxy to the other side of our galaxy. It's 4.2 light years, or 40 trillion kilometres, to the nearest star. Exactly. This is the God who created that. He sustains it all, and he's there washing his disciples' feet. Why would he do that? Because people are naturally proud. We naturally build ourselves up. It's interesting. You ever read John 13? Paying careful attention to the order of things. And yes, I am looking at a very specific thing. When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he knows who's going to betray him, correct? He knew all along. How many sets of feet did he wash that night? Twelve. He washed the feet of the very person he knew was about to betray him. Could you do that? If you know someone is literally about to betray you and you're about to endure what Jesus endured, could you actually beforehand bow down and wash that person's feet? Do the lowest job of the low. Yet Jesus did. That is humility. That is submitting to the Father's will. That is what it means to completely sell out and give all of yourself to God and not have yourself as number one priority. In Jesus, 
we see his perfect humbleness. It's incredible. It really is incredible. But what do we do? I know this person on Facebook. I went to college with him. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm not going to incriminate him. Went to college with him. Great guy. Has a wonderful heart to serve God. He's a pastor of a Baptist church. I have lost count. I think he averages about 12 photos a day. He puts on Facebook telling the world what he's doing in serving. I'm out busking. I'm delivering bread to this person. Oh, we just had a prayer meeting and I really prayed really well. And oh, isn't God great because I got to talk to this person in the shops. And oh, we're practicing for Sunday. And there's about 10 photos every single day. We are naturally proud people. Instead of telling the world what you do, just do it. Just do it. The world doesn't need to know. That's one of the greatest sadnesses I see in Facebook. Everyone now feels that they need to live their life on Facebook and it's, it, if I don't put this thing on Facebook, then it didn't really happen. And how, how are people going to know I did this thing if I don't put it on Facebook? Or whatever social media program you use. I was told recently that the fact that I use Facebook, and I hate Facebook, I, I really would get off if I could, but I probably shouldn't say that, but I do hate Facebook. I got told recently that because I use Facebook, that makes me old, because young people don't use Facebook, Facebook's for oldies, and so the fact that I use Facebook makes me old. So if you're on Facebook, you're old. <laughs> courtesy of what someone else told me not me but just do it if you want to deliver some bread to some just deliver it to them if you want to call them just to encourage them like I've been encouraging you to do just call them but then you don't need to tell five other people you just called someone to encourage them you don't need to take a photo you don't need to tell people oh I just dropped around a meal because they're struggling or I just did this for someone just do it. God knows. But we are naturally proud people. It's in our nature. We are naturally proud. So how do we go about this? Jesus didn't sit there taking photos of himself. Look, just washing disciples' feet. Click. Put that onto Facebook. <laughs> he just washed his disciples' feet. So what does that mean to us today? I want to jump back to Luke, and I want to actually read this. Luke chapter 18. And you might be, as we read this, you might be wondering, how is this at all related to the Beatitudes? But we'll get there. Luke chapter 18, and we're starting at verse 9. Luke chapter 18. And we're starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, 
Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's interesting, isn't it? The Pharisee, the one who knew the law better than anyone else, was pretty much expecting God to be grateful that he paid God a visit. The attitude was pride. The attitude was, look how good I am, God. Aren't you lucky that you have me? And the tax collector, who was literally a complete outcast in society, they were seen as uh, the same as adulterers and lepers, and they were shut out from society, tax collectors. Why? Because they were collecting tax for who? Rome. How popular were Rome was Rome to a Jew? Not very. <laughs> and tax collectors were seen as traitors. And so for Jesus to say that a tax collector, a traitor, an outcast, someone who society rejects and doesn't want to be associated with is the one who went home right before God instead of a Pharisee. That's controversial. That's not why I actually read this out. That was just a little side thing. You want to know one of the most common accusations, complaints, observations, whatever word you want to put in there, is of the church today by those not in the church? Hypocrites, yep. Very self-righteous. Almost arrogant. The fact is, whether we like it or not, the majority of the community see us as that Pharisee. To them, we are the Pharisee. Of all people, we should be the tax collector. We should be humble. We should be the humble to everyone because of all people we should understand that we do not have a right standing with God based on anything we can ever have done, do do or will do. We of all people should be the most humble in the world but the world sees us as arrogant, self-righteous, prideful, hypocritical, That's how the world sees us, whether we like it or not. 
the message that we want to communicate about how awesome our God is and how much our God loves is not getting through. And I truly believe that's the message we want to get across. I'm not saying we're distorting the message or we have self-interest in the message. I truly believe the church want the world to know how awesome our God is, but the message is not getting through. It's not being communicated well. Why? Not because of the words we're using, but because of our actions, our lives, our attitudes. Are blocking it. Communication. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Communication is firstly a two-way thing. It's not just what I say, it's what you hear. I can say the perfect message, maybe in an alternative universe, but I can say the perfect message, but if you don't hear the, what I have intended you to hear, then there's been a breakdown in our communication somewhere. Communication is not just about words used. Communication is the whole package. In fact, experts in communication, this isn't Andrew made up stuff, this is the experts' opinion that out of communication, 15% is words used. 85% is non-verbal. My body language, my tone of voice, my facial expressions, what you're hearing, your previous experiences, my previous experiences, all of that comes into communicating and understanding what the other person is saying. All of that plays a part. And then we wonder why every second conversation we have on Facebook turns into an argument. Because you're relying on 15% of the art of communicating to understand what someone else is saying. All you're seeing is words on a screen. You don't know what attitude they had when they wrote it. You don't know if they were laughing when they wrote it. But you've taken it as a great personal insult. They could have written it as the world's biggest joke, but you don't understand that because you can't see their facial expressions. You just see words on a screen. And it's the same with communication to, between us and the world. The words we say, we say how awesome God is, we say how wonderful he is, we say how much he loves them, but they're looking at our actions which make up 85% of the communication and our actions say that we're arrogant, prideful, hypocritical, because our actions aren't measuring up to our words. Our communication is breaking down. And what's the problem for that? Where does that stem from? I'll suggest a large part of it is our view between us and God. We need to learn to be humble. Truly humble. Not like the Pharisee in the parable we just read. Oh, thank you, God, that... I give you all this stuff. Thank you that I fast twice a week. Thank you that I'm not like, that I'm not sinning in these particular ways. Thank you. Saying the right words, but his heart, his heart before God. 
there was an arrogance there. There wasn't a humility there. And once we have a right understanding and a right relationship with God in terms of knowing our place with God and truly living out the fact that we don't have a right standing with God, we are humble in our relationship with God that then flows out to our relationship with others because we should be the most humble people ever not the most proud but that's how we're seen I'm not trying to be a jerk I'm just simply telling you how society sees the church whether we like it or not so normally about now I would go, okay, so how do we live this out tomorrow? But I'm not doing that today. I want to try something new because we haven't had enough changes lately. Oh, I know most people don't like change. It's okay. We're still doing it. Instead of how do we live this out tomorrow, I want to throw it open for a couple of minutes and do a a question and answer time. If I've said something today that you're a little confused about or you'd like a bit further clarity about or whatever, now's the time to ask. It's not a, let's see if we can stump the pastor opportunity. That's just far too easy. That's not a high enough bar to jump over. The pastor's not at all brilliant. I'll endeavour to answer it if I can. If I can't, I'll get back to you on it. But are there any questions in your mind at this point coming from today's sermon? About humility, about Jesus modelling humility, about our lack of being humble. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't, I don't think that's what he had in mind like I can't even approach him but to untie someone's sandals um, because of, obviously back then everyone walked everywhere and being in the Middle East their feet got very dusty, very dirty and hence the, the, the foot washing um, thing and to, in order to wash someone's feet, they first need to take their sandals off so you can wash their feet properly. Um, I don't think he means from a, a physical perspective, oh, I'm not worthy to even approach him in, in a physical sense. Um, I, I think more what he was saying was this, this low menial job, which often Jewish slave owners uh, wouldn't even get Jews to do it. They would have a Gentile slave who they would make 
do that because it was considered so low that they would not reduce a due to that low, such a low level. Um, that's how low it was viewed as. So I think that's what John's getting at. Like, I'm, I'm not even worthy of that sort of, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. Even though that job was res- really reserved for Gentiles, um, Gentile slaves, which puts it right at the rock bottom. And I'm, I would still love to be able to come up with something in, in a modern-day Australia 2022 sense of what might be equal to that in first-century Palestine. Struggling to come up with a, a relevant example as to just how low this job was considered, you know. Um, any other questions? Concerns? Want some clarity over something? Try to teach me things about God being a God of 